Imagine for a moment what it might be like to fall asleep after a night of dining with friends, only to be awoken by the sound of explosions and automatic weapons. Or perhaps you can picture yourself here in the United States, watching the news closely as events unfold in Ukraine, only more is at stake because your friends and family still live there. This is Philip Allstott with Beyond J, and with me are two Sacramento State graduates with completely different stories, but with one important tie, the war in Ukraine. I'd like to introduce you to... Well, my name is Olya LeBaron. I am from Ukraine. Olya moved to the United States at the age of 19, attending BYU in Hawaii, where she met her husband before moving to Sacramento. She has since earned her graduate degree from Sacramento State, and then later taught at Sac State's English Language Institute. But once the COVID started, then the program started shrinking, and so unfortunately we couldn't teach there anymore. Now let me introduce you to Sacramento State alumni. My name is Blake Westman. Despite the, what the media says, um, no one believed there'd be war in Ukraine. In many parts of the world, the threat of war was apparent, and experts warned of an impending attack by Russia. Maybe even 99% of Ukrainians didn't think Putin would go that far. Blake first traveled to the Ukraine in 2014 during a time known as the Revolution of Dignity. He claims that the scenes of violence and destruction were isolated to a few city blocks and that it was easy to avoid. Since that visit, he has returned to Ukraine 16 more times. We, so I actually, it's been a while since I've been to Ukraine. I am from the eastern part of Ukraine. I'm from Donetsk, which is now, which has been actually occupied by the Russian government since 2014. So my son and I were there in 2014, and um, my parents still live there. When the protest started, no one was violent but the government. And so um, they staged it to make it uh, look that it was violent. During Olia's visit, her brother, who was a boxer, was encouraged to incite violence. Uh, we're going to pay you $100 a day. Do you want to come and, you know, act as you're part of this, these protests and, you know, beat up the police uh, for the media and show that these are not peaceful protests and we have to fight these Ukrainians who are protesting. Russia started that propaganda and while I was there, my brother was telling me, hey, you have to leave. Russia is going to take over Crimea soon. Like the Ukrainians who believed that Russia would not attack in February of 2022, Olya did not believe that Russia would invade in 2014. For the past eight years, you know, the media has been saying there's, there's war in Ukraine, but Ukrainians claim that there's no war. So I went this time believing the same thing, that there wouldn't be war. Well, two weeks in, you know, everything was fine. There was no talk of war. People were saying there's not going to be a war. And then in one day, that changed. They said Kiev will be uh, bombed tonight. That night was eerie, according to Blake. All of the lights that you'd normally see in Kiev, including the skyscrapers, were dark. Well, I didn't really sleep that night. And at 5 o'clock in the morning, there was this loud explosion. Then I heard a couple gunshots. And then later that afternoon, I heard um, air raid sirens. That was the day I was planning on leaving. Blake was in this apartment with no chance of catching his flight, the sound of war approaching and concerning darkness. (music) 
Olia, her husband, and her two kids decided that once her children were out of school for the summer, that they were going to visit family in Ukraine this year. And we had all of these things planned out. And then all of a sudden, we started seeing on the news that there were all of these military buildups in, you know, by Ukraine, Russian buildups. And the United States started saying, hey, this is not going to end well. And I was talking to my family and my friends there, and they're like, things are fine. We still, you know, plan on coming here. And then all of a sudden, so it was, um, I remember that it was February 24th, and uh, it was around 7 o'clock uh, in the evening here. We were watching TV as a family, and uh, my friends in Kiev, they messaged me, and they said they started bombing us. And... And so I started crying right away. My whole body was shaking. My kids were like, Mom, what is going on? And I, I just couldn't hold myself together. I was like, oh, no, they're bombing them. They're bombing They started the war. Olia and her family watched as the events that were unfolding right in front of Blake's eyes were unfolding for Olia's family. So I escaped with one of my Ukrainian friends. Blake headed for the train station with two friends and their three children. So there were six of us traveling. We got on the train, went to Lviv, from, from Kiev to Lviv, and then we got separated. They were taking only women and children. So they got on, I got left behind, foreigners came last. Blake spent hours trying to get on a bus, running into the same situation, women, children, and the elderly. After two or three buses, I realized there was no chance of me getting on a bus to get closer to the border. So I found another foreigner, he was from Norway. And we uh, stuck together, we found a cab. Blake and his Norwegian friend found passage on a small bus known as a sand taxi, heading to the Polish-Ukrainian border. Stressful, literally stopped. Bumper to bumper traffic for 30 kilometers. But since we were on a bus, there was no oncoming traffic because everyone's leaving Ukraine. So buses were allowed to go in the oncoming lane. Every 500 meters to maybe a kilometer, there was checkpoints. There was inspecting the, the driver, wanting to see his tags, looking at the passengers. And one officer uh, pulled me and my Norwegian buddy out of the van and said, you need to leave, you need to walk. And they loaded it with women and children. Without any other transportation, Blake and his new friend stood in the cold, too loaded down with possessions to walk, and still 18 miles from the border to Poland. After a few moments of shuffling people around on the bus, they were told by the patrol guard that there was a seat available. Mosna, Mosna, he says, that means you, can't get, you can get back on. He's telling me to get back on the, on the bus. I get back on and... Tired and hungry, the two push on toward the border on a full bus. Out of the window, Blake sees groups of people who are on foot, and the bus continues to stop at checkpoints. Actually, we came to a military uh, patrol, you know, a <laughs> checkpoint. You know, uh, people in military uniform with AKs, and I'm, I'm just sweating. And they want full passports and everything. And I show him my American passport, and he smiles at me in English. Oh, you're from the state. A moment of relief for Blake to get a friendly greeting in English. But they're still a mile from the border on a dirt path. There's no sidewalk, so I'm like off-roading with my suitcase through a dirt to get to the border. But the gates are closed. And they're not allowing anyone through. We were uh, constantly reading the news. We were so concerned trying to figure out ways to help, and we just couldn't function really here. It turns out a friend here in the United States was working on a way to help. He took a flight to Poland, he rented a van there, 
and he just started going to Ukraine to the train station there in Lviv and he started bringing people from Ukraine to Poland and uh, then he had some donations so he was giving money to people he was paying for their hotels so my husband and I said okay we're gonna go too. Olia and her husband made the difficult decision to leave their children here with some family and travel to Ukraine to aid refugees. Olia connected with a friend from Utah who had gone on medical missions in the past. He was able to figure out medical supplies that um, the doctors in Ukraine needed, and he was able to get a lot of first aid kits and just a lot of supplies. So we flew to Warsaw. Um, We flew with Uh, another group. The group collaborated with a major airline who agreed to allow the 10 boxes of supplies to fly at no additional charge. We booked our flights and we went there for 10 days. We had friends who set up fundraising and um, they did a bake sale, but a lot of people just started sharing this post about fundraising we were doing and they started donating money. So we had quite a bit of donations. Back home, Olia's friends had raised nearly $30,000 to support their efforts in Ukraine, which they then used to help individuals and families who were fleeing the country. And uh, we paid for their hotel stays, for their food, um, gave them a little bit of money just so that they could survive in the new country. We rented uh, three vans. We met with a man who had been volunteering, and he connected us with other volunteering groups. People were saying they've been there for two days, three days, five days, unable to get out. This is still the middle of the night. People are desperate to get out of Ukraine. Nobody has had food or water in hours. Thousands there, trapped. They're not letting anyone through. Border Patrol is being very aggressive, just shouting everyone to get back, get back. I just thought I'd uh, walk in, get my passport stamped, I'd keep on walking, and I'd f- catch up with my friends who were uh, hours ahead of me. I don't know, I don't know where they are. And my phone's about to die. I didn't charge it. The weather's below freezing. Girls walking around in orange vests. They're the only people who spoke English at the Border Patrol, and they said they're allowing only women and children through. You won't get in until tomorrow. The girls were part of the Polish Border Patrol. However, the Border Patrol provided nothing. There's no food or water, nowhere to sit, and no available restrooms. And it's so cold. Um, all there is is a muddy lawn that's frozen. I tried sitting on it, and I, that's when you say you're literally freezing your ass off. Yeah. <laughs> literally. According to Blake, there were some people who began scaling the gates to get into Poland, including a man standing near Blake who spoke English. Eventually, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, we're getting out of here, follow me. I'm following him, following him, and then I realize, oh, I need my Norwegian friend to come with me. So I stop to look for him, I don't see him. I look back and they're starting to climb. A bunch of people see this, and then the whole crowd just runs to the fence and starts climbing. Of course, Blake had all of his possessions that he would have to leave behind. There were some others who started small fires to stay warm, and they welcomed Blake and his Norwegian friend to sit. The smoke would blow in my face, I'd have to get up and move, and eventually I just decided not to sit anymore. So all night I was standing, on my feet. And this lasted another 12 hours. Until the next afternoon. The hope of getting out on this day was diminishing. Blake began to think to himself, maybe it's better to turn back. Maybe he should find a way back to the country's capital. Because in Kiev I have hot water, I have a shower, I have a fridge full of food, a warm bed. And that's all I was thinking about. But with a nearly dead phone, only 5% battery left, Blake began to think about his friends that got on the train ahead of him. 
he knew that he had to make it to Poland. So, um, yeah, we spent 10 days there. Um, we slept about four hours a night on average. <laughs> and then we would just go and pick up people from the shelters. And, and uh, we just started getting requests to come get uh, people from the border. One of the requests coming in was for a family of 10 who had secured housing in Germany. Olya's husband had previous experience participating in a mission to Ukraine. He said, I know that family. And he's like, I met them on my mission. They're an amazing family. He said, I want to drive them. I want to help. So we actually went to the border and we took them and picked them up and we took them to Germany. In Germany, we picked up supplies, humanitarian help that was uh, prepared by Germany, and we took that to the Ukrainian border. Then we went to the shelters, and we picked up people from the shelters. Just we would come up to people and ask them if we could help them. So all that night and all the next day, I was waiting to, for them to open the gates. Then they opened the gates. He entered through the gates, believing that he was now on Polish soil, only to realize that he was entering customs and needed to get his passport stamped. And eventually I, I tried to sit on the pavement, but I've been standing for so long, it hurt my knees. It was actually painful to start sitting down. About two hours into his wait, the Polish army brought in some food. They brought in some juice, they brought in some, you know, some cold sandwiches. And then I get into the building. It took me two hours for Ukraine side to stamp my passport that I'm exiting Ukraine. And then I, I'm in a building where it's warm, but there's no seating. And it's another two hour wait outside to get to the Polish part. Once inside Poland, Blake hears an official asking for people to prepare their passports. Just so she knows I understand, I pull out my American passport to show that I don't, I don't have one, just to show my passport. She looks at it and she acts like it's uh, plated in gold. She goes, oh my God, it's an American passport this way. Together with his Norwegian friend, they are escorted to a man at a counter. He, he stamps them and 30 seconds, we're done. 30 seconds. <laughs> Relieved, but still disoriented, the two made their way to a market where some buses were clearly transporting people. So they asked if this was where they needed to be. They said, if you escaped Ukraine, this is your bus. You get on this bus. And we got on. And about 10 minute drive, we were at this big warehouse. I didn't know where what was going on. I just thought they were gonna drop us off just somewhere in Poland, but it's actually a refugee shelter. At the shelter, a Polish officer offered to connect him with someone from the U.S. Embassy. But Blake's response? I just wanted to rest that night, you know. I didn't have any rest for 48 hours. Which, Poland, they're amazing. We were so touched by how much they have done for Ukraine and the shelters that they set up. And it was, it was incredible. They had hot food and... Um, cots with, you know, just beds. And they, they shut down this huge mall, shopping mall. And um, they used that for the shelter. It's hard to imagine a sacrifice like this happening here. An entire shopping mall closing its doors to the public in order to house refugees fleeing their country. Yeah, and there were volunteers from everywhere. They were volunteers from Spain and Great Britain and, you know, just so many people. For Olia, it was more than a chance to help others. It was an opportunity to make connections with incredibly selfless people, including one man 
His name's Solomon Smith, and he um, he has been there for over a month now, and he actually goes all the way to Kiev, and he's been helping orphanages. Blake never caught up with the friends that he left Kiev with. We've been in contact on WhatsApp, but we never met up again because they, they were on a different bus, they took a different route, and they went to different destinations. After a well-needed rest, the two friends found their way to a train station and boarded a train to Warsaw, where they could get an international flight. And in the end, Blake was able to make his original connecting flight in Munich. The war in Ukraine has pushed Ukrainians out of their home country and into not just Poland, but countries around the world. This has been Beyond Jay from Sacramento State, a podcast committed to bringing thoughtful conversation to the Sacramento region. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Philip Allstott. Thank you.